Hello, everybody. Welcome into another edition of Head Coach U. I am Brian Fisher, joined as always by former BYU and Virginia and Mountain West, because that's important coming up. Uh, head Coach Bronco Mendenhall and uh, Bronco, we've we've had on a ton of college coaches. We've had on a ton of we had NFL coaches. We had college basketball coaches, which starts this week. Thrilled to have on our first commissioner, Gloria Navarez, the commissioner of the Mountain West. Gloria, thank you so much for stopping by. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, I I, I know. You know, coaches, they're always busy. You know, it seems like they're always doing something. I would imagine the the life of the commissioner is is even busier than, than I think uh, anybody can imagine. Can, can, you, can you peel back the curtain a little bit in terms of like what, what goes on? I don't know if there's a typical day that you might have, but like what is a, a week for you in terms of your, your work and, and just dealing with everything that uh, seems to be on your plate? Well, you know, if you think of the the conference responsibility, it starts with, you know, media rights, our television broadcasts, championships, officiating, and generally making sure people play by the rules and play nice together. So especially this time of year, it's a lot of travel. I'm trying to get out to all the campuses, but it's also, you know, we have a command center for game operation issues and everything else. We have another one for replay. And so that one's monitoring and feeding, you know, all the issues from the events, but um, certainly just kind of the daily operations of uh, running the league and then, you know, kind of this membership conference expansion one eye always kind of looking out for <laughs> what's next out there. As you consider the, so there's obviously a zillion things going on in your life, just with what you described. And then, as you mentioned, the one eye two expansion, I'm wondering how much how much uh, from the Mountain West Conference and where you sit are you trying to be proactive in position versus just kind of watching the the tea leaves, right, to kind of sort out? And, and how much of your time is occupied maybe by what the future might look like? Well, when I first took this job in January, it was hot on the radar. And so it was part of the interview. San Diego State was really very transparent and public about their desire to align with the Power Five Conference. So from the get-go, we started a membership work subcommittee, working group, three presidents, three ADs, to constantly meet, kind of scrub the environment, compare notes, and, and be proactive, stay ahead of it. Um, as the Pac-12 you know, demise happened um, over time and then felt like rather quickly, that was handled directly by our board of directors. Um, but now that that's settled down a little bit, we've reconvened our membership subcommittee and we're constant, you know, our questions now are, are we at the right size? Previously, I felt like if we lost one school, you know, that would have put us at 11 football, 10 uh, non-football. And I felt that was a good, good size league, but now I wonder if we're on the small side, given what's happening in the environment. So we are constantly evaluating all right, should, what number should we be at? How would that impact schedulings and getting teams in the postseason? And then if expansions in the cards, who should we be looking at? But so kind of going back, as you consider, um, it seems like another alignment or expansion is coming. Um, would, so knowing that you kind of had one eye on it before and then have a subcommittee and working group, um, is that still happening? And then how do you see, because uh, one of the first things you mentioned was media rights, and and is that tied to the decision, um, as I, I would guess it would be? Yeah, as you know, media rights pretty much drove this most recent yes. round of conference realignment. Um, there's still the open question of Washington State and Oregon State and what they're going to do. And certainly we feel they fit with us. We'd love to have them. 
but also they've got a lot of figuring out to do. And, you know, you've read they've got court dates and all kinds of things happening over there. So right now we're good. Um, we're looking forward to finishing up this season and hopefully being in the CFP playoff. Um, but our media rights expire in 26. So we'll go to market in 25. So, you know, that's for us right now looking like a good opportunity because, you know, the market been a little soft. A lot of the media money has been spent in this most recent round. Hopefully, you know, let the uh, market recover a bit and um, very much looking forward to, you know, really elevating our brand and, you know, really just committing to um, amplifying who we are as a Mountain West and then going to market in a couple of years. It seems like the job that you have is expansive, is broad, is deep, and and the preparation. I'm I'm fascinated to know how did you prepare to be a commissioner because it seems like the, the knowledge base you have to have in a wide variety variety of topics is is maybe one of the strengths. Just in listening to you already hit about twelve different points in different areas, and um, so what kind of if you were to advise maybe the next Mountain West Conference commissioner twenty years down the road when you retire or move on or et cetera, like what preparation would be the ideal preparation for a conference commissioner, either education or work experience? What, what would be helpful? Well, I think, you know, some familiarity with the college athletic space, um, having worked on campus, I feel personally is really important because mm. campus is a different beast. It's not like private sector, right? I mean, it's the higher education, it's the academy. It's got a lot going on. It's wonderful in that sense, but it's not the same as many other industries. Um, also, I think, you know, there's only 32 Division One conferences, right? And there's only 10 that compete at this FBS level that has all these kind of nuances to it. And so some experience with what it means to really be at an FCS, uh, FBS institution and, and all that entails. And, you know, what's really, really helped me through this expansion is just, you know, I've been in this business 25 years. Oh, that hurts. And just the people you get to know. I mean, you know, Coach, right? It's just, it's it's a small community. But when, you know, stuff starts to boil, being able to call good friends, colleagues I trust, you know, they're not violating any conflicts, but just, you know, letting me know when and where to look. It's <laughs> really, really important. Yeah. You know, the colleagues that you can trust i'd like to pause on that for a second it number one they're hard to find and it takes a lot of work to to cultivate and establish those but wow having the right mentor or person that you can call at the right moment with the right advice wow does it allow your head to kind of not be so distorted and fragmented and and sometimes sometimes just a voice of reason at the right time really helps and I don't know, maybe uh, maybe you could expand on that. And, and what does that circle look like for you? Uh, maybe do you have one in each kind of sub-discipline of your job? Or, or like, how, how have you gone about that? Well, certainly, you know, the folks that have given me opportunities, the first one that pops to mind is Joe Castiglione at Oklahoma. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he, he hired me out of the West Coast Conference. What, who? What? And made, you know, senior associate athletic director gave me a lot of responsibility that I was ready for, but I don't know how many folks would have taken a chance from a, you know, so I had an FBS experience on my resume, but I just happened to be coming from the West coast conference, which was, you know, division one, no football. And that's certainly even, and just like you were saying, there are days when I can call him, he'll always call me back. And when I'm just getting hounded with all kinds of perspective and advice, and even though I know kind of what my gut's saying, just listening to him say, 
yeah, I think you're thinking about it the right way. Listen to your gut. So just that kind of good housekeeping seal of approval. Like, yeah, you're not crazy. You haven't gotten too far down the branch. That sounds right. It's just so helpful, comforting. Um, I think, but to your point, you know, we work as commissioners, we work for our board of directors, our president. So you got to constantly have that connection and uh, relationship and communication but we serve our membership and that's our ADs and really being connected to them both. I mean, during the height of, you know, the realignment expansion, I was on the phone with all of ADs and presidents at least once or twice a week. Yeah. If if you were to describe, man, maybe the interaction between those two groups, because I, I would imagine there's unique challenges for both. So there's the board of directors and the presidents, which are highly accomplished and have their own issues with each of their institutions. And so you have that whole thing that as you're talking with them and and then you switch gears, I'm sure, to the athletic directors, which also have their own initiatives and agendas and unique and distinct institutions. And I'd love to hear just kind of maybe the, the toggling back and forth between president, the president group and the athletic director group. Yeah. And we fortunately we have such a great group in both rooms and I extended to our coaches groups. They're amazing. Yeah. They're a very impressive group of people. So our presidents are operating, you know, way up here, 100,000 feet and certainly very interested and committed to athletics. But our athletic directors and our other stakeholders, there are practitioners, there are experts. So it's really a balance between getting our ADs prepped enough, get them to a consensus on an issue so that they can prep their presidents and that the presidents that you're delivering information, you know, remind they're not in this every day. So every time I start an issue, I start with a little bit, remember last time. And then here's context and history. Here is all the pros and cons. And here's where I, as your, you know, neutral commissioner, think we're going, but here's where our coaches and our ADs and everybody else, you know, netted out on the issue and think we're going because you never want to pull your president so far into the details that you've lost them, but you really need to keep them engaged and educated to make informed decisions. So honestly, people are surprised to find out how much little legitimate authority commissioners have. Very rarely can I pound the table and say, this is what we're going to do. We're, this is what our schedule's going to look like. You know, um, it is constantly building consensus, getting majority and hurting the cats mm-hmm. toward, a, toward a position. Uh, so, man, I, it makes complete sense. I love the context and history approach. I'm sure with the leaders at the university president level, the number of things they have going, I bet they're so thankful when they get on a call and can just listen and be caught up to speed and, and accurately and effectively then be able to frame their opinion and a decision. And it seems like as well, and I'm not sure if this is the right word. You can you can uh, insert the right word. It seems like as you're building consensus, that's persuasion. And there's uh, sounds like some politics involved a little bit. I don't know if that's the right word, but I'd love to hear more as you're building consensus toward what you think might be best for um, your conference. Um, and then you, you're getting the athletic directors and the practitioners on board. How much of it is political or or another word that might be a better word than that? I don't I don't know what it is, but what what how do you sense that? Well, it's that's business one on one. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the meeting before the meeting yes. and that's calling and touching base with everyone to make sure that they can ask you the one on one questions that affect their institution. Right. Nobody wants to go in the room. You're try- when you're in the room, you're trying to think of the whole you're what's 
best for the sport, the student athletes, the league. But when you're one-on-one, you can answer those. Okay. So how's that going to affect me? (laughs) It sounds good, but I need to know, you know, given my own institutional filters, agendas, needs, how is this going to work for me? And so asking and answering those questions and finding out things before you go into the room that you may not have anticipated. So you might, you know, I might think I have a great compromise position. I'm really excited about it, but forgot about nuance A and B and C that apply to these schools. And I might have to adjust. I might have to make some fixes so that we get in the room 90% of it is already baked. There might be some discussion issues, some open questions, but primarily everyone feels comfortable with the package. So you're only talking about the real tangible issues. You're not spending time educating and asking a lot of institution specific issues. I, I love that. And I, I, I bet that the uh, the leaders that are in the meetings appreciate meetings that are run efficiently, effectively, have already been framed appropriately enough calls have happened before the meeting. And so really the meeting and their their time is valued and emphasized and magnified um, to where you can feel productive. And when there's a productive meeting, one of the sayings that we used to have in, in the programs that I ran is I didn't want meetings after the meeting. I thought an effective meeting didn't need any more meetings after. And if I walked down the hall after we had a staff meeting and there's these little sub meetings going on, I would have everyone go back into the meeting and just say, okay, now let's have the real meeting because whatever those were, that should have happened in the meeting. And I think by what you're suggesting, the preparation for the gathering, it gives everyone a chance once the meeting is over to go about their business without the lingering residue of the meeting. I love that. I'm going to use that. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No meetings after the meeting. (laughs) You want want to come to resolution. Sometimes that can always be achieved, but you know, there's a difference after the meeting being chasing down more information, exploring more options versus everyone going, what just happened? Wait, I agreed with all that. Let's go back and change it. That's unproductive. (laughs) So so maybe if, if we switch gears just for a second and, and with the realignment and different things that are happening, if we pull, our our eyes back a little bit and just thought about college athletics as a whole because we we can see um and as i'm following court cases etc right I, I think one of the things that's on everyone's mind is um the employee uh i don't know what even what word label uh, if if I, I can't find a better word than that how do you see that at least from your perspective um and i'm sure you're you're way more averse than i am on that but how do you see that issue currently, maybe how likely, and then if we were to project down the road ramifications of that on college athletics. Uh, You know, I'm personally not a fan of making student athletes employees. I know I'm biased. I was a student athlete myself. I love the experience of being able to educate young people through sport in the academy while they're getting their degree. I think there's no more special uh, experience and opportunity at that point in your life. Um, I understand, though, the inability of the NCAA to address and move quickly has gotten us to a point where we want to provide student athletes more resources, allow them to monetize their name, image, likeness, but also give them a voice in the structure. And so I feel like a lot of people went to employment. I feel we can achieve those things without labeling them employee. And we've gone a long way to do so. In fact, I think in name, image, likeness, we probably overshot 
Mm. A little bit. I'd like to see us get that back. Not so much pay for play. Allow them to monetize, student athletes to monetize their name, image, likeness. Yes, great. But getting some more influence, guardrails, protections by the campuses so they're not taken advantage of, probably a good thing. But anyway, I think we've achieved that. Um, but also voice in the governance structure, right? In employment, it looks like collective bargaining. So they have a seat at the table and can negotiate. In our world, it looks at its expanding role in the NCAA and conference governance structure. And honestly, I've been really, really impressed. They've been, student athletes have been in the governance structure for a while, but this most recent transformation committee push and um, empowerment has really given them a voice. And honestly, they've had a very, very strong voice with most recent things like timing of the transfer portals, the windows, things like that. Um, And I think it strikes a good balance. What I don't like about employment is you think about the college environment and if you make a poor decision, a little bit of a knucklehead move, uh, in college, you get a couple chances, you get a warning, you get a probation, you get a suspension and you're back in employment, you get fired pretty quickly. There isn't a lot of leeway because you got to treat everybody in the employment universe of your organization the same. So, you know, I, I just, if, if you didn't live up to your expectations in recruiting, now you get guaranteed a scholarship and you get to finish and graduate in an employment. I don't know that that would be the case. Yeah, re- really well said. And, and so many different issues that you hit on that I think really will hopefully just give our listeners different things to think about that maybe they've jumped to a side or the other already. And I hope that there's pause, reflection, contemplation on where it will lead. Um, the idea of of academic emphasis, which, by the way, um, rarely is, is heard currently um, in the world of college athletics. The the focus on becoming through education. And so I think your point is well taken. I think one of the things that a lot of people would maybe like to hear your opinion on then is is who governs and how how the guardrails that are needed, right? The structure that that has to be maybe implemented, who best maybe to to be the one to do that and what might that look like just from from what you where you sit. Well, I know it's early days, but I am a fan of President Charlie Baker, our new um, president of the NCAA. And I do very much appreciate the platform he's outlined. I think there is a role for an, uh, in order, at core, the NCAA is about having national championships, crowning national uh, winners for sports teams, individuals, whatever the application is. And so, to do that, we need to be able to govern effectively across state lines. So I think there is some needs for federal involvement to help level set some of the different state laws that have started to creep into the space. I, I think that's necessary because if you can use state laws to create a competitive advantage, then you really are working in contrary purposes to crowning a true national champion. Um, But I think the other piece is that in order to govern across state lines, especially get our arms around this NIL piece, there needs to be some kind of safe harbor or antitrust protection. It just is because you're crossing all these state lines. You're talking about uh, the business of college sport. And so maybe it's a limited carve out, but some kind of safe harbor to allow us to be able to monitor. And frankly, I think that was a big piece of why 
the NCAA as an organization was slow to get in that space was the fear of antitrust and trouble damages. I, I think so. And one of the things, just as, as you mentioned, if, if for some reason that doesn't play out as you're kind of recommending or suggesting, then uh, my thought is then like will probably be with like and states that have similar um, rules and, and governance will will and maybe should be with like in their own conference, in their own league, et cetera. So what that would look like for a national championship, certainly that would be affected. But the idea of, of like with like, I think most anyone wants equitable, fair and equal opportunity to win. And so that's kind of, I think, what you're addressing with with maybe some of the guardrails and, and um, structures you're suggesting. Just so if it is a national championship, it's it's as equal as possible, um, which has never been truly equal, but it maybe as possible. Well, and, you know, you're referencing, uh, well, we're talking about 1% of football, men's basketball, That's like right. 99% of our ecosystem in Division One, Division Two, Division Three, and every other sport and championship works pretty well and provides an amazing experience for those student athletes and participants. Um, but one thing that also works really, really well right now is the NCAA March Madness. And I think everybody loves it those in the business, the media partners, the fans. And so I think there's a healthy respect for that and a desire not to, um, you know, take away the magic, so to speak. And I think part of the magic of that tournament is the, you know, Gonzaga success story or the St. Pete's or, you know, just the thrill of OMG, what's happening in the first round. <laughs> well, and, and that anyone and everyone has a chance and has earned a chance. And, and when they get their opportunity, it's amazing to see what they can do and the world can see what they can do, which is, is really so much about, um, I don't know how our country was shaped and forged. And, uh, and so back to your point, that 1%, if that's what it is, um, really the issue then is college football um, and, and at the power five level, especially. And so it'll be interesting to see and kind of just track if, if that ends up becoming a, a separate entity in and of itself and the rest of the world and athletics lives happily ever after. And that structure kind of becomes distinct and different and works um, within the differences that it has. So I, I know that's a possibility. It'll be interesting to see where that where that goes. Well, you know, all of these subdivisions, even the NCAA, every school is unique. They're really, I mean, as much as we have in common, we have such unique members at every cut. And even if you cut the 10 FBS leagues, there's a lot of differences between those too. And, you know, uh, you referenced like among like, like we consider ourselves very much FBS like, and we are very different. You're very familiar with our league. But we compete and we're really excited. One of Craig Thompson's, my predecessor's legacy, was helping get that 12 team expanded playoff over the finish line, but also carving out access. So you have that, Bronco, you, you described it so well, I'm not going to try to repeat it, but that opportunity to showcase what you can do, that opportunity to 
punch your opponent in the nose and advance to the next round. I mean, I think that's what's so special about sports, about uh, all the lessons you learn about business. And it's just super fun to watch. So what, however this ends up, I think it's really one, I'm very grateful of all of Craig's hard work to, and structure to create that access, but two, to keep that access point. A couple things I remember, and I, you, you've just expressed it so succinctly when I was in the mountain West conference, uh, first couple of years at BYU, we had won the league twice. Utah had won it twice. TCU had won it twice in like the first six years. And then I remember the day there goes TCU and there goes Utah. And then um, BYU chooses to go independent. I remember at that time, one of my first thoughts was access, meaning where will this lead? And I didn't think it was sustainable um, to your point. And I remember as an independent, I was thinking, I think we'll have to go undefeated two years in a row. Um, from our current place to be considered uh, maybe for the playoff and the strength of schedule certainly have to weigh into that. And so I love the idea of the 12 team playoff. I love the idea of a March madness ish um, type of feel. Um, And I think that's good for college athletics. And I think it's, um, I would love to preserve that and hold on to that as much as possible. And the mountain West conference is man, the quality of coaching when I was in that league, the, the, how fun and distinct each city was, but also how kind of common um, groundish it felt. I think you're in a really cool spot. And um, I just, just in visiting with you today, what a, what a bright future the league has. And just so thankful you kind of came on with us and helped share some insights. I think I just found our new brand ambassador. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll have to put a patch. A patch would go good, maybe right there. <laughs> we got you. We got you. But you know what you're saying is so true. What I love about this league, although again, all the members are different, sometimes completely different, but there's that commonality of you know big state institutions, cornerstones of their community, pride themselves on uh, accessibility, inclusion, accessible education but yet really want to compete at that highest level. And it's just such a lot of them are only show in town. I was just at the Colorado state at Wyoming border war and talk about a rocking event, beautiful fall day. I mean, it's just, it's, and to your point, we get a lot of first time in the chair, coaches, ADs, presidents. We have so much talent coming now quotes quite often they get hired away, but more often than not, they end up coming back. It's really interesting. And there's a high affinity. uh, And I think we really embody what it means to like educate the whole person through the Academy. Well, and I think one of the other things that I really appreciated about the mountain West and the, and the towns and the States is identities of States are formed through their athletic programs. And there's lots of pride in outcome, but also not only maybe how they play, the brand they play. And there's there's an expectation in Wyoming that the style of play in football reflects the people of Wyoming. And well said. Very, very similar at the Air Force Academy, right? The Air Force Academy better play football in a way that represents uh, those that attend that institution or have attended. And I, I think that's really fun and I think it's really healthy and I think it adds to the environment. And so I, I'm a proponent of, of that form of college athletics. And I think it's just invigorating. Coach, there might be a box of swag coming your way. I, I'm, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it coming already. I, I, I could see you looking at my sizes. XL. Would... <laughs> so, so Brian, I just, the, and, and Gloria, the, the perspective of, of one or two steps removed um, to see 
while it's not the presidential view, the commissioner view is is more presidential-ish from that height. And I think our listeners just have really benefited from hearing things from a little bit bigger and broader perspective. So thank you so much. Well, thanks for having us and appreciate having someone who knows our league so well. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that swag, you know, it, it's going to have that 25-year patch on it because, it, you know, the 25 years of the, of the Mountain West, uh, a terrific season unfolding, a lot of candidates for that group of five bid. And uh, I guess I'll, ju- I'll just finish up with one quick question on, on, on that, Gloria. I mean, I, I think you're, you almost are, are paying state taxes in, in Illinois. There's none in Texas for all those meetings that you have with your fellow commissioners kind of determine that 12-team playoff. What, what What's left to do in terms of some of those details? Because it seems like you guys are working so hard to, to get that in place for next season. It, it, it might must take up a lot of your time, but what 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 else, what's left to do in terms of uh, getting that thing off the ground? Oh, there's still so much, and I would credit the CFP staff. They are deep in it. They rolled up their sleeves, but you know, we're going to uh, campus round first sites and how to level set the experience. At you know, you're only going to get you know a couple weeks notice if that, and um, yeah, it's a lot. But certainly, it's a lot that they have done before, and so we're plowing through the details. And you know, inevitably, you, there's always going to be those things that you didn't anticipate in you know, the week prior to the event. But I feel pretty good about the track we're on. Certainly, is a lot, but I think it's going to be worth it. What I think it's just going to be a great event. It, it definitely seems like it, it, it is going to be. We kind of wish it was in place for this season, given all the teams that could could be vying for some of those twelve team spots. I know it's, it's always fun seeing on Tuesdays. You know, here's here's the here's the four, but here's also what it would look like with twelve. A lot of Mountain West teams being in that in particular. So. Uh, Thrilled to have you on, Gloria. Thank you so much for, for jumping on with us. It was great to get your perspective and uh, best of luck with uh, the rest of the season, uh, given how, how things have gone already in the Mountain West there. Thank you both. Appreciate it. All right. For Gloria Navarez and for Bronco Mendenhall, I am Brian Fisher. We'll catch you again next week. Next week.